I've been reading a book called Miracles by a professor from, I believe he's from Talbot Seminary, named uh, Greg, Craig Kinnear. He has a PhD from Duke University. He's brilliant. And um, Professor Kinnear has devoted much of his ministry in the last several years to documenting miracles all over the world, hundreds and hundreds of miracles. And he's, he has a passion for the living God being known through the miracles that he's done. And he, he fills his book with these stories. That, that's just, it's just wonderful. If you want more information on this book, this man is really credible. He's a brilliant scholar. He works really hard to make sure that these miracles are, um, are bona fide. And there's just story after story of what God is doing today in the world, not just 2,000 years ago, but today to uh, make his name known. And one of the stories I love in the book is of a tribe in South Africa that was very, very, um, very, very malnourished spiritually. There were just a few Christians. The churches that were there in this little tribe in South Africa were fighting each other for disciples. So the churches repented and they came together and they repented of their infighting and they prayed for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And one night, uh, one of the, the men who was trying to lead one of the churches there, a Mennonite named Dr. Norwood, who was a, a, a Mennonite uh, a doctor, PhD guy from, I believe he's from the States. He, he was preaching and proclaiming the name of Jesus and they were sending people out into the area to preach. And so some of the people in the town I think it was called Nimikiti, something. I'm not going to try that again. They were angry because they didn't like the gospel. They didn't like this new religion that was trying to encroach on either their gospel or their, their atheism. And, and one night, a group of these angry villagers came to Dr. Norwood and, and they gathered around him and some other believers. And there was a man there who was paralyzed on his right side. His whole right side, his leg and his arm could not move. And he been that way since he was born. Everybody in the village knew this. And he was really angry at Dr. Norwood and what was happening among the Christians. And he said something along the lines of, listen, we've prayed to Malak, we've prayed to Vishnu, we've prayed to Abanu, and, and we've done all that. These gods are garbage, all of them. And now you're bringing in a new one. And we're supposed to sit here and now we're supposed to pray to Jesus. And, and that happened to him. As soon as he said the word Jesus, according to Dr. Kinnear, his, and Dr. Norwood, his arm went up like this. And his arm had not lifted his whole life. And he realized suddenly that when he said the name Jesus, his arm could move and his legs could move. And he started to dance. And he, he apparently this was an, some sort of other outreach event. And he grabs the microphone from Dr. Norwood and he starts screaming, look what Jesus has done for me. Look what Jesus has done for me. And Dr. Norwood says that was the beginning of an outbreak of the gospel in that whole region that, that over the next 10 years brought thousands to Christ. And this happened, I believe, in the early 1990s. You can read many other stories like that in Dr. Norwood's book. But, you know, it, it, as we look at something like that, we, we want to ask, what is going on there? That this man could say the name Jesus and his arm would move and his leg would move. What is going on in, in, in a man like Mike Christ that, you know, he, he doesn't care about God and one day something grips his life and changes everything and turns it upside down and next thing you know, he is taking his family to Turkey and the Mideast and then he's coming back and he's taking his bride and his five children to Africa to start a seminary and he has faith to do that and she has faith to do that. 
What's going on in our midst where, I don't mean to pick on you, but where someone like Amanda can go through what she's going through with the desertion of her husband and be filled with joy and actually through much of that season confess that she feels closer to God than she ever did before. And we know those things ebbs and flow. You know, we know there are ups and downs and there's deep suffering, but with the deep suffering she can confess unlike hardly anybody else and say, there is a joy in my heart that although I would never want what's happened to me to happen, I, don't, I wouldn't want to lose this joy that I have. And I know many of you have all experienced that, that miracle. What, what happens when, you know, we're, we're at Dorcas and, and this happened again last week where I, I, there's a, I don't know what's going on in her heart, but there's a stone cold faced woman uh, who doesn't seem like she's very interested in, in talking. And, and we start to pray for her, Krishand and I and Kim were all part of this last week and we stopped to pause and ask the Lord, Lord, what would you want us to pray for her and it just occurs to one of us the word granddaughter 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 and so we say to the woman is there anything wrong with your do you have a granddaughter do you need prayer for her and then you know her family confesses massive problems with her granddaughter and and dangers that are that are making this grandmother tremendously anxious and then Krishan is able to pray with her and and break through barriers of countenance and emotion and the the woman begins to praise Jesus out loud in public on the street corner there as we're praying. What is happening in these situations? What's happening is the risen Jesus Christ is exercising his authority over all things. It's what we sang about. It's what Holly read to us about. Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father and he is ruling over all things. He's ruling over all things in your life. Everything that is in front of you, everything that that makes you joyful, everything that makes you fearful, everything that gives you hope, everything that fills you with dread, he's ruling over all things, over all things. There's a man in charge of the universe now. He's still a man, just like Mike talked about. Just like you and I, except a lot more. And he's ruling over all things. He's ruling over our morning. He's ruling over everything that's going to happen this morning. So we're going to talk about that. But before we keep talking about it, let's go to God in his name and ask for blessing after blessing after blessing. Will you pray with me? Lord, we ask you in the name of Jesus Christ to give us the privilege that we, Lord, can't earn, don't deserve, but you're so good and this is what you want, would you give us the privilege of seeing Jesus Christ exalted in our hearts this morning? And would you turn that exaltation into power to follow you more closely, to love you more deeply, to trust you with more joy and more hope? Would you fill the exaltation of your son in our hearts with power that we might have more joy and more holiness in our lives, more joy in you because of him and what he's done and who he is for us. Lord, we don't want to walk in here the same way. We don't want to walk out of here the same way we walked in. We want to walk out changed and helped 
So please meet with us this morning. In Jesus' name, the name above all other names, we pray. Amen. This is our second message in the book of Romans. We're going to um, deal with just a very, very short part of Romans. Not every Sunday will we deal with a microscopic section. Some Sundays, Lord willing, next Sunday, we'll deal with bigger swaths of the book. But this Sunday, we're going to focus on a a small part of the beginning. And I'm going to read Romans 1, and we're going to read 1 through 6. So if you have Bibles, if you want to follow along on your Bible or your phone, you can pull up Romans 1, 1 through 6. I'm going to read through that, and then we'll, we'll talk about where our primary focus will be. These are the very words of God from Romans 1, verses 1 through 6. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, And was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. The title of our message this morning is The Son of God in Power. The Son of God in Power. And our primary focus will be verses three and four. Verses three and four. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The last time we were in Romans, it was Palm Sunday, and we focused on the truth in these six verses in particular, that God is a God who offers himself to us and that he has been pursuing humanity through the good news about Jesus for centuries, even before Jesus was born through the prophets that we see recording their messianic prophecies throughout the Old Testament. And Paul makes that point in verse two. And and he makes the point in verse five that this is why he exists now. Because God is a God who offers himself. God is a God who pursues us. And now he's anointed Paul with that mission to offer God to the Gentiles and to pursue them through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here in verse three, Paul alludes to uh, something that brings us deeper into the core of what it is exactly the message he's bringing is. First, he talks about this Jesus who was descended from David according to the flesh. And that's what we talked about last time. Jesus is a descendant of David. This is a clear allusion to the promises that God made over centuries that the Davidic line would bring about a Messiah, a king, a man who would come to the world and in David's lineage reign upon David's throne forever. So he says, according to the flesh, according to Jesus' humanity, Jesus was of David's line. But this phrase, according to the flesh, is really important. 
in Paul's writing, it always speaks of human limitation, human weakness, humanity. Sometimes it's neutral. Sometimes it's very, very um, immoral. Uh, but it always speaks of humanity and our weaknesses and limitations, our frailness. And so he's pointing not just to Jesus, Jesus' Messiahship, but he's pointing to Jesus' incarnation, to Jesus' solidarity with our frailty, with our humanity. Philippians 2 puts it this way. Though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. We'll get to more of that verse later, but that first part really focuses on the idea that in Christ, this is a miracle. This is an amazing truth of our faith. I want all you guys to listen to this. I want all you kiddos over there to listen to this. I want you to hear this as if, if it has to be for the first time. Listen to this. In Christ, God chose to become one of us. In Christ, God chose to become one of us. Don't ever forget that. Jesus knows hunger. He knows thirst, just like you. He knows exhaustion, just like you. He knows loneliness, just like you. He knows rejection, like you. He knows betrayal, like you. Jesus became vulnerable to the pangs of temptation to abandon God's ways like you. And he had to fight against temptation like you as a human being, trusting in God's word, crying out in his struggle for his father's help, just like you. And because of all this, Jesus is filled with compassion for you. When you struggle, when you suffer, he is filled with compassion. He understands it even more than you. Do you remember on the eve of Jesus' crucifixion, the gospel tells us that he was in such extreme agony that he sweat drops of blood. That's very likely a medical condition where your anxiety is so intense that it breaks apart your capillaries in your body and blood actually issues out from your pores. That is a uniquely, exceedingly horrible experience. And Jesus went through that it's easy for us to forget that Jesus knows better than we do what it means to feel weak, crushed, awful. There's no abandonment. There's no shame. There's no fear. There's no pain that you will ever suffer that will exceed what Jesus experienced in his humiliation as a human. He can relate to it all. And that's not just a theological truth. That truth is designed to, to woo you and to draw you to the Father in his name, to remember that in the Godhead, the second person of the Trinity is full of compassion because he knows exactly what it's like to be you in the worst shape that you are in. Indeed, 
On the cross, Jesus embraced the ultimate solidarity with weak humankind. He embraced what it is like to feel and bear our shame, our guilt. Though perfectly sinless in himself, Jesus was considered by the Father guilty of all of our sin before his Father. And then he received from the Father all the condemnation that we deserved, bearing the full weight of God's crushing, condemning justice against the sin of all of mankind. Jesus suffered the destiny we all deserve for our sin. He suffered physical, emotional, and spiritual destruction, utter destruction. What happened to his body, in a way of speaking, was a metaphor for what was happening to his soul. Crushed by God's just judgment for all the evil we have done so he can relate to everything that we go through except sinning. But he can relate to the experience of being condemned and bearing the shame and the guilt for sin as his father poured out his condemnation on him. So when Paul says that Jesus was David's descendant according to the flesh, he's not just speaking of the messianic royal line of David, but also Jesus' solidarity with our weaknesses, with our shame, and with our spiritual misery. But if we only see Jesus this way, we do not have the full orb of the gospel, the full beauty of the gospel. For Paul goes on to tell us that Jesus was also declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you're like me, when you come across a sentence like that, your gears break down and everything just gets clunky in your mind. I mean, Paul just throws out phrase after phrase, participle after participle, and it's true that you could, for the love, you could write seven books about this sentence. And Paul just, it's like all the slurpy machines in Paul's mind are broken. It's just pure syrup that comes out. I think it's like the fifth time I've used slurpy machine analogies in preaching. But it's just high octane, pure stuff with Paul. It's so much like that that Peter actually says, Paul writes some things that are really hard to understand sometimes. I mean, that's in one of Peter's letters. What a mercy. You know, Peter's reading Paul like, goodness, Paul, this is a lot in this verse. And that's true. That's one of the reasons why today's sermon is on just two verses. But we want to savor what's here. We want to get what we're supposed to get out of this high intense nutritious meal here. So we're going to take some of these phrases moment by moment here, slow by slow, and really just try to go a little deep with this. So this phrase, declared to be the son of God, that phrase declared to be, it's difficult Commentator after commentary I read explained that it would be better translated that Jesus was appointed or decreed to be the son of God in power. The idea isn't that Jesus wasn't the son of God before, but it's particularly that he was declared to be the son of God or decreed to be the son of God in power. 
in power. Before the resurrection, Jesus lived and died in human weakness, in the line of David, as our crucified Messiah. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead inaugurates a new era, a new era of human history in which Jesus rises to be not our sin bearer, no longer covered with our sin and shame, but he rises to be our indestructible Lord. Our glorious, exalted, indestructible, all-powerful Son of God for me, for you, forever. He is given to be your ally. He's done being your ally as your sin bearer and now he's exalted as your ally as God Almighty, the Son of God in power. Paul says this is according to the spirit of holiness. And this phrase, according to the spirit of holiness, is also a humdinger of what does this mean? Many books could be written. But we, we, we're helped by recognizing that according to the spirit of holiness is parallel with what's in verse three, according to the flesh. Those two phrases qualify things in a similar way. So let's use those two phrases together. In verse three, he's of the line of David, according to the flesh. In verse four, he's raised from the dead, empowers the son of God, according to the spirit of holiness. If Jesus was David's son, according to the flesh, that is according to or pertaining to the limited, weak realm of human existence, he is also all-powerful son of God according to the spirit of holiness. That is pertaining not to the realm of human weakness and limitation, but pertaining to the realm of the spirit, of the Holy Spirit, where all power resides, where perfection resides, where perfect holiness resides. Did you know it was the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. Romans 8, 11 says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead and the Holy Spirit will raise you from the dead. That third person of the Trinity that whispers God's truth in your ear when you're hopeless or condemned, when you're tempted, that gentle counselor who helps you turn from here and turn back to God, who fills you with patience when you feel like you, you don't have another second of patience, that gentle counselor is going to literally raise your decayed bones and ashes from the ground and put you back together physically. So Paul is alluding to this great power of the Holy Spirit here. But it's more 
than, than just the Holy Spirit's raised Jesus from the dead as the Son of God. Because if we go back to according to the flesh, that spoke to Jesus' existence as frail, weak human. So according to the Spirit speaks to this new realm of the Spirit. This new realm of power and holiness that Jesus lives in and that he is drawing all of us into. Let's just take a, a, a second and look and consider as a, almost as a metaphor, though it's literal, but almost as a metaphor. In other words, if we look at what happened to Jesus' body, it's telling us something about where we're going, not just physically, but spiritually. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus' body and our bodies, when he's speaking about the resurrection, the whole idea of resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this, the dead human body is sown a natural body and it's raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So this is really strange. It's really mysterious. It's, it's not fiction, but it's science fiction-y in terms of our inability to, to really understand the metaphysical reality that's going on here. But Jesus rose from the dead in a physical body that was more than a physical body. It was a spiritual body. We saw some hints of this, the fact that Jesus was able to appear and disappear at will. The fact that Jesus was able to walk through walls, as it were. The fact that Thomas could put his fingers in Jesus' side and there was no pain for Jesus, or at least no indication of that. It was fine. There was no reopening of wounds or blood flows. But there's something else going on because it isn't just that Jesus rose with an indestructible body. He rose as a life-giving spirit. And Paul is talking about Jesus' body. He says that there's a natural body. There's also a spiritual body. And the spiritual body that Jesus grows with is a life-giving spirit. I do not understand everything that this means. But the spiritual in scripture, again and again, the spiritual is the realm of true life and true power. God is spirit. The visible is made by what is invisible. The physical is made by the spiritual. The spirit gives life, Jesus says in John 6. The flesh, it counts for nothing. It can't really do anything. But the spirit in the spiritual realm is the place of life and power where holiness and goodness and righteousness rule, where love and compassion and patience, gentleness and kindness rule, where those things rule, there is power for all things, visible and invisible. We live in a world where the flesh, that is humanity, the way Paul defines the flesh, humanity apart from the Holy Spirit seeks to rule and dominate the spiritual. Sin and self seek to run the show. Our own flesh, our own appetites, our sin habits apart from the Holy Spirit, they seek to run the show every day and night. 
But when Jesus rose from the dead in power, he rose as the son of God to usher in an age in which the Holy Spirit dominates. The Holy Spirit controls and gives us power to overcome our flesh by that same spirit. Jesus rose from the dead with dominion over sin and death. And he gave you his spirit because he's a life-giving spirit and he put life in you, life that has dominion over sin and death. And to this end, that the whole of his people would live in dominion over sin and death. To this end, Jesus now reigns over all things to bring that to pass. He lives and reigns that you might have dominion over sin and death. And Jesus is reigning to make sure this happens. Jesus is king and ruler of the universe and ruler over your life to make sure this happens. That you have dominion over sin and over death and live with spiritual power. The spiritual power Paul calls in here the spirit of holiness. This is why he rules and he does rule. Paul makes this emphatically clear, not only calling Jesus the son of God in power, but calling him at the end of verse four, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the Lord. He is the ruler over all things. This is why after Jesus rose from the dead, he said something to the apostles he had never said, I don't believe he had ever said it so clearly and so emphatically to them before. Remember that just before he ascends to heaven in Matthew, he sends the apostles on their gospel mission to make disciples of all nations, to bring people to Jesus and to teach them all Jesus commanded, to disciple them, to keep them in Jesus. But before he sends them on their mission to save the lost and to mature the saved, he says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Though he had alluded to this before his death and resurrection, never before had he stood before them, having finished with death forever and risen from the grave, indestructible, done with weakness and limitation and said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me because something had changed in the universe. Moments later, after Jesus says this, he would literally transcend space and time. He would enter a realm called heaven, which is entirely in an, an entirely unfathomable dimension of existence beyond most of our comprehension. And yet Jesus transcended space and time and is now there as a human he is in a different dimension of reality as a human. He's in a body that's a human body, but it's more than a human body. As Paul calls it, it's a spiritual body. It's imperishable. It's glorious. 
And yet Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, exists as one who is also here now with us, dwelling in us through his Spirit. Seeking to establish his rule in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Do you know that Jesus is ruling all things? And as I'm pressing into this message, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I need to ask this question throughout my day, day by day, moment by moment. Do I know that Jesus is ruling over all things? He is ruling over all your trials, all your joys, all your depression, all your frustration, all your hopes, all your fear. He is allowing it all. He is directing it all, some of which he likes that it's happening, some of which he hates that it's happening. But whether he likes that it's happening or hates that it's happening, he is allowing and directing it all and using it all for his purposes. And this is something in the universe that in a way that I can't quite understand because Jesus was always God, but this is something that is new in our universe after the resurrection. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 1. He says about the Father and Jesus, he, the Father, raised him, Jesus, from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and he gave him his head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all how do we comprehend this we are the body of the one who rules all things. We are the body, the hands and feet, the eyes and ears, the mouth, the brain of the one who is above, far above every rule and authority and power and dominion. But this is what happened when Jesus rose from the dead. And this is why Paul says that he rose as the son of God, not in humiliation, but in power. Paul says it this way in Philippians 2, the same idea. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. We read that earlier, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So what happened next? Therefore, because of this, because of this servant heart, because of this self-sacrificing God the Son, because this is who he is, because he has this character, because he has this selflessness, because he wants to honor his father with everything he has and because he wants to save humanity with everything he has. Verse nine, therefore God has highly exalted him 
and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord. This is what Jesus meant. He knew Philippians 2 in his heart when he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. My Father has handed everything over to me. Everything. So go. Go. Care for my people. Win those who don't know me. Help those who do. Go. Be about my business. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We think of Jesus very often. We think of him as gentle and lowly and humble. Servant, a king riding on a donkey. He is all those things. Willing to carry the biggest burdens. Willing to suffer the greatest pains. To serve. He is all those things. But he's also the one who said... All that the father has is mine. It's a man. And God. He's also the one who said, whatever you ask in my name, I do it. That the father may be glorified in the son. He's also the one who said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Jesus is the son of God in power and Lord over all things, brothers and sisters. Not me, not you, not Putin, not Biden, Not Elon Musk, not Trump, not Black Lives Matter organization, not your boss, not your spouse, not your pain, not the person you're afraid of, not the person you're in love with, not your trial with your child, not your health problem, not your money problem, not your addiction problem. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He rules all things. As Lord, for his Father's glory and for your good, if you belong to him. So, three points of application as we close. First, Jesus has all authority. Go to God, cherishing him. Jesus has all authority. Go to God, cherishing cherishing him. The Father has entrusted all things to the Son. That's what happened at the resurrection. Here, Jesus, here's my universe. Steward it well. And through Jesus' blood, Jesus has opened a door to his father so that you can come to his father in his name. And that name 
is the name above all names. It means something to the Father. The Father honors that name. The Father responds to that name. That's the name the Father wants to hear when we pray. That's the one the Father wants honored when we pray. So when you come to the Father, honor the Son by praying in his name. But listen, brothers and sisters, that means much more than stamping in Jesus' name at the end of our prayers. That's not what that means. As if we could say some words like Harry Potter or the other guy and and make some magic happen. That's sorcery, not worship. No, it means pray in keeping with who I am. That's my name. My glory is in my name, the Lord says. So pray in keeping with who I am and what I want. And I will do it. But as much as I feel led this morning to remind you again to pray in wise and godly ways, I feel that today it is most important that I challenge you to treasure in your heart this truth when you pray, this truth when you pray, that when you pray, you treasure this truth. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus. Therefore, Jesus acts with power when I pray to the Father in his name, even imperfectly, but trying to pray in his name along along the contours of his heart and his desires as best as I can ascertain, which we do better and better as we study and give ourselves to the study of his word. God responds to that name. Cherish that name. Don't just stamp it on your prayers. Cherish it when you pray. It is power for your prayers. It is power for your life because the father responds to that name because the father has given all authority to that name. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the father may be glorified in the son. Recognize that at every interaction you have with the father is the authoritative agent of the answer to your prayer. However, God the Father responds in his wisdom. He responds through the person of Jesus Christ because he's given all authority and honor to Jesus. So honor the Son of God in your heart by cherishing and believing this truth. Jesus Christ has authority over all things. Number two, Jesus has all authority. So believe, obey, and really live. I know this is like all of life in one thing, but this is what came to my heart as I'm praying and working on this. Jesus has all authority. Believe and obey and really live. And this comes from the text. This isn't just serendipitous Albert stream of consciousness. This is in the text. Listen, we all want to experience a life of power. We all do. I don't mean a life of personal control and ego self in the driver's seat. That's not what I mean. I mean, we all want to live a life of, of meaningful, purposeful, productive, good. I do. I want my life to count for something. I want my life to stand before the scales in God's kingdom and, and for him to say, this life had meaning. This life had weight. This life did good things, not stupid things. This life was not wasted. It produced. Everybody here wants that. I hope, I think, everybody in here wants that. But how do we do that? We need power. We need power. We need power inside of us to move and think and decide in the right ways. 
And we need power around us to, to bring about the outcomes that in our best hopes we hope for. Well, if all authority belongs not to us, but to Jesus, this means all power belongs not to us, but to Jesus. What he decides or allows to happen, happens. What he wants, even if it takes longer than he might wish or we might wish, he brings it about eventually. And what does he want? What does he want? Where is he going to direct his power? Look at verse 5. Jesus Christ our Lord, verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. Paul's talking about his life. We have received grace and apostleship to bring about, now he talks about your life. We have received grace and apostleship. I'm an apostle to bring about in your life the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, including you, Jesse, including you, Luke, including you, Jen. (laughs) And you could say Albert, right? Including you. What does God do with his power? He raises from the dead, in the sun, he, he interrupts Paul's terrorism life. He changes his heart. He zaps him with power and says, you go make disciples of the whole world. And he says, and, and all of you, make disciples of all of these people. So what does he want? He wants to bring that about. He wants to bring what Paul calls the obedience, this is a beautiful phrase, the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. Jesus, for the sake of his name, for the sake of his pleasure and joy, which is the best pleasure and joy the universe can have because it comes from the the purest heart there is. For the sake of his good and loving, trustworthy heart, Jesus wants your obedience. Through faith, through faith. He wants your obedience through faith. He doesn't just want your obedience A despot, a tyrant can get your obedience if he holds a gun to your head. A boss that you hate with all your heart can get your obedience if he threatens you enough or if he promises you enough money. He can get your obedience. That's not what Jesus wants. Jesus wants your obedience born out of faith. In other words, he wants you and I and our neighbors and coworkers to so truly see him in his word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to so truly come to trust him by the power of the Holy Spirit that we follow him by the power of the Holy Spirit. We obey him because we believe in him and we want to, even against our flesh that doesn't want to, we persevere because we believe him, because we trust in him, because he's good. That's what he wants And I emphasize by the power of the Holy Spirit because Jesus knows it's never going to happen without the Spirit. Without him dispensing his very own Spirit in power by his own authoritative decree into your life, without him saying from his Father's throne, Spirit there, he needs help to break away from depression. Spirit there. She needs help to break away from addiction or laziness. Spirit there. 
He needs help to stop hating and being bitter towards that person who broke up with him. Spirit there, that person who's afraid to witness for me and ashamed of my name in school. There needs to be power there. Brothers and sisters, this is what Jesus wants, the obedience of faith, what he wants more than anything in our life among all the things we might want, good health, civil peace, fair wages. He wants our hearts so belonging to him that we obey him out of faith in him, out of faith in him. So so know that as you pray to him for this, know, know this, this is an encouragement. This is an encouragement. Know to him that as you pray to him for this, as you confess to him your lack of doing this as you should, as you make the, the weakest but most, as you make the perhaps the weakest but still sincere move towards this in your life, as you do this, because you want him, because you, you have a mustard seed even of trust in him, because you're, you're seeing him in his word, you're seeing his promises here and you're hoping in his promises and because you're fearing his warnings in here, you're seeing his warnings and believing his warnings and believing that his heart is good and that he's worth it and that he's kind and loving and mighty and trustworthy. As you're trying to see that and trying to follow him, remember this, he has all authority all authority over your crud. He has authority over your flesh. He has authority over your sin. He can destroy its hold in your life. And that as you try to find him and follow him, again, with the tiniest faith, he is at work exercising that authority to bring that outcome out of your life, the obedience of faith. Brothers and sisters, this is what we're made for. This is what we're made for, the obedience of faith. We're made for obeying faith. We're made for obeying by faith. And listen, I know that does not sound super exciting and happy and glamorous. I know obey can sound like a dirty word. It can sound like a control word, a slave word, It's particularly offensive in 2022 in Western culture. But it is when it's birthed out of faith in an all-loving, gentle, patient, very patient, never giving up on you, all-powerful Lord, that is a beautiful word that brings healing to your life. So even today, even today, if there are obvious places of disobedience in your life, if there are obvious places of disobedience, if you have normalized pornography, if you are stuck in its filth, if you are mired in laziness and wasting away your hours, on media and frivolity and giving close to nothing to seeing Jesus and helping others follow him, much less giving him any time yourself. If you're trapped in bitterness and anger and resentment over something done to you so much that it really is 
controlling your life. If that's happening, if your life lacks the carefulness and the focus on Jesus, I challenge you, come to God this morning in his name, that name of authority and power, and tell him, I want to follow Jesus again, Father. I want to follow Jesus again. I want my life to have power, good power, to have meaning, real meaning. I want my life to be a life of love, a good life. And I need, Father, I need Jesus to exercise his authority. I need him to beat back the thorns and thistles of this addiction, of this sloth, of this anger, whatever is the cancer in your life this morning. So we're gonna take a second and do that. Just give you some time to pray. But before we do that, this is my final word and it's short. All authority has been given to Jesus. Jesus has all power, rejoice. Rejoice. John 6, 37, Jesus says these beautiful words to you and to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. If you belong to Jesus this morning, there is no authority in this universe greater than his. And by his authority, I love to see your faces and know you. I I love to know you as I say these words because I know you, so many of you. I just love to say this because I know you belong to Jesus. I get to say these words to you, Krishanda. It's just a privilege, Rob, to say there is no authority in this universe greater than his, and by his authority, he will ensure that you make it to the end and are raised on the last day very soon. If you don't know him, if you don't know if you know him, please ask me today about him or anyone that you know who loves him and follows him because God has given Jesus the authority over all things. He's given authority to Jesus to judge you for your sin and condemn you to an eternity of damnation. But that's not what he wants for you. That's not how he wants to use his authority. He'd rather use his authority to raise you, to forgive you, to make you new. Heal your life and find you in him on that last day full of exceeding joy beyond your imagination. Finished with this hard life. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask, um, we just take these couple of minutes, Lord, and, and what, 
would you examine our hearts this morning? Where there's anything in our lives that you want to speak to us about, where the obedience of faith is is far from where it can be today, even at our present level of maturity, because we know you're, you're not asking for perfection right now forever. But there are things in each of our lives, perhaps, maybe most of our lives, certainly, where, Lord, you know there needs to be action. There needs to be growth. There's need to be your Holy Spirit invasion of power where we're, we're not where we should be. And I just pray that, Lord, whatever it is, you'd give us grace in, in just a few moments here just to bring what you put your finger on in our heart. Would you put your finger on it and would you allow us to bring it to you? And would you in that place direct the power of your son? Would you, Father, in Jesus' name, allow Jesus to direct power, the power of the Holy Spirit into that place that there would be freedom there would be a new beginning, a new start. There would be a breaking of the bonds of sin's dominion where it should never have dominion among your people. So in silence, let's just take a moment, ask the Lord to search our hearts and bring anything you sense the Holy Spirit putting his finger on. Respect that name that you come to God through when you say, Lord, help this. In Jesus' name, help this. It's the name of power. Let's go to prayer for, we'll just take a a minute here.